Well, good morning, Real Life Church. It is good to be with you. Hopefully, you guys have got great plans for July 4th, um, and uh, we don't blow anything up. That'd be great. Um, I, uh, I, I have a budget line item for fireworks, so it's kind of part of my DNA, so I, I kind of love it. And, uh, and where are my guys at that like fireworks? Anyone? Okay. All right. All right. Do it safely. Okay. Um, hey, let me say something about what Micah shared this past week. Man, we had 250 people running around, all these children, and uh, I, I am overwhelmed at how God moved. And, and here's, I mean, last week, I'm still reeling from last weekend and what kind of God did and how he moved and how he kind of brought us to our knees and he interrupted our life. And, and he has total permission to do that at any point. And, and, uh, but I really believe that God was able to do what he did because uh, our, his people found a comfortable position on our knees and we cried out to him and we said, God, would you do something? And this week, because I think of the faithfulness of you and so many of the volunteers and so many workers, God was able to move in 19 children's hearts. It was just incredible to see that. And so I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for uh, your heart for the Lord and seeing his kingdom built. Um, and, uh, and it's your faithfulness to see that happen. Now, this last week, I, I really didn't have a whole lot of, uh, of allies. I mean, everyone seemed to be against me. Like, everyone's like, uh, I mean, I've got, I got titled Pastor Pie Face. Um, I got titled, uh, because if, they, if the girls won, then, uh, then I, I would get a pie, and if the boys won, then Micah would get a pie, and it just seemed like it was rigged from the beginning, you know? Just saying, like, and, and, like, and then I had, like, children coming up to me, like, like and their voice are changing, we're going to destroy you. I was like, wow, there's something. Is that you? Is your parents talking through you? I don't know what's happening. So um, I didn't have any allies or friends this week, but it was a great, great week, uh, and God did a whole lot, and uh, so I'm excited about the fruit that's going to come from them. If you guys have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 13. We are continuing on in a series called Stories Around the Campfire. And, uh, and what it is, it's just a series walking through different parables uh, through, through Scripture. And, and what parables are, are Jesus Christ basically using story, helping us to connect with deeper truths about who God is, helping us have a deeper understanding, a deeper knowledge, kind of ushering us into a place of, of understanding and connection by using story, by using illustrations while he's talking to the people so that we can better connect with him. And I, and I love how God has used story and how he's used so many stories throughout uh, scripture. I mean, constantly in chapter 13, if you look, um, there's multiple parables, like one after another after another. He's like, well, okay, let me share it this way, and then let me share it this way. And then where we're going to be here is starting in verse 47, and we're going to be talking about the parable of the fishing net. Now, where are my fishermen? Anyone like to fish in here? Fish? Fishermen? Okay, all right. I, I enjoyed fishing. I'm probably not as passionate as many of you in here, but it's nostalgic for me because I remember times where Grandpa and Dad took me and my brothers out and, you know, they taught us how to put the hook on and how to bait the hook and then how to cast. And, and it was just, it was very fun to go out and learn that and, and spend time with dad and grandpa and my brothers. And, and, uh, and some of you just probably love it. But, but I, loved, I, I love where God's bringing us this morning because it's all about fishing. 
And I remember this one time I was fishing, and I was a college pastor in Columbus, Georgia, and a buddy of mine said, hey, Joel, why don't you come uh, and go fishing with me one morning? And so I was like, sure, no problem. So I jumped in the, his boat, and we went out into the lake, and it was serene. It was early in the morning, and, and, um, and so I, I got, I got my, my fishing gear, and, and, I, and I cast out, and, and that morning, I caught five things, five things. And, uh, and I'm going to give you the order in which I caught these five things. So, uh, so the first time I, I saw, when I cast out the first time, I'm reeling in, and all of a sudden I, I thought what felt like a tug or whatever, well, I got excited, and so I, I'm reeling this thing in, and, and you know, the, the pole's bending, and I'm a little excited, and I, all of a sudden I pull it up, and, and it's this huge pile of like muck and sticks and mud, like it was nasty, it was just gross. And so then you gotta go through the process of pulling it up and like taking it off the hook, and, and it just smells, it's just nasty, it's just gross. And so we finally rebate the hook and cast out again, and, and then I get another what felt like a hit, you know? And, and so I, I reel that back in, and, and guess what? I, all of a sudden, I pull up a, a decro, you know, decrepit sort of looking baby doll. And I was like, this isn't supposed to be here. This is um, weird. And, uh, I, I, you know, you don't expect a toy to come up from your hook. And uh, all of a sudden, I get this, this broken, nasty-looking sort of baby doll. And so take that off, and and I throw that out, and, and then I rebate the hook, and I, and I put it back out there, and, and I, caught, I caught my first fish, fish, and um, um, it's, uh, it's really exciting, though. It's really not, not a whole lot to say. It wasn't, it wasn't a big moment, but it was, you know, it was my moment, okay, all right? It was, um, and so I, I caught my first fish. I was excited, and, and, uh, and then I cast out again, and I caught another one. And I was super excited about that too. And, and so I caught two fish in a row. I was like, yeah, all right, all right, this is it. So finally I cast out again. And uh, man, I caught, uh, man, it hooked onto something and it was big. And my pole was like, mm, it was reaching over. I was like, this is it. I got, yeah, Jonah, what you got, man? You know, and I'm just kind of trying to reel this thing in. And, and finally it comes and it just kind of glides and bumps against the boat. And it was this massive, fish that was dead and uh had the stomach it was eaten out i mean it was just it wasn't it, uh-uh. no i was like are we by a toxic dump or something anyway it was just gross it was nasty like glazed over uh, anyway i'm gonna give nightmares to someone um but it was just this you know and and here if we know anything about fishing when you cast out there's things that you get excited about, things that you're going to take home, you're going to put on a mantle. I, I, let's call them good fish, okay? You're gonna, there's good fish that you want to come and, and either put it on your mantle or you can eat them or you consume them. Um, you don't want to do that with like dead fish or baby dolls, you know, none of that. Like, that's bad. Um, but, but then there's some that you do want, I mean, then there's some that, that you want to keep and then some that you want to throw out. Well, Jesus is standing around, obviously, 2,000 years ago, fishing was a big industry. It was a huge industry. And so he decides to use something very familiar, and that's what the parables are. He grabs something familiar to help teach something deeper about who Jesus is, who we are, and the relationship that we share. So if you don't have your Bibles, you can join with us on the screen. Matthew chapter 13, follow along with me as we look at Matthew 13, starting in verse 47, this is what Jesus said. 
He said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it up to the shore, sat down, sorted the good fish into the crates, threw the bad ones away. That is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 51, Jesus asked, do you, do you understand these things? And the people are like, yes, they said, we do. Then he added, well, every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We invite you into this space. We invite you into this place. I pray that it is your voice that's heard. It's your face that's seen. I pray that it is your truth that, that anchors and establishes deep things in our heart. God, we need you, and we need nothing else. So would you show up and you would move in our lives in a powerful way. We love you, we thank you, and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you don't know, and maybe you do, if you've known God and you've understood a relationship with Jesus for any amount of time, you come to understand that, that Jesus, God himself, has a plan from the beginning of time. He is constantly moving, he's constantly working, and he's constantly chasing after two things. He's chasing after his glory and our what? Our hearts, yeah. He's chasing after his glory and our hearts. And so his plan um, is, always, is always in front of us. Like it's always playing out according to how he chooses and how he wants. God doesn't work in conjunction to us in accordance to us. Um, we work in accordance to him and so there's certain things that happen and only God only the God of the universe can know that he can he's the only one that knows that if I if this happens then it's going to produce this if this happens then it's going to pull this out of this person's heart so that he or she can like God only alone knows and is sovereign and in control of this entire plan and so Jesus is trying to talk to us, trying to kind of bring, bring it down to something that is a little bit more familiar to the people. And so you can see Jesus as he's looking, because if the fishing industry was as huge as it was, because it was, I mean, if you got the Sea of Galilee, you got the Mediterranean Sea, the fishing industry was a source of income and a source of food. And so it, it, it dominated many of these people's worlds. I mean, they were interacting with it in some way or another. They were either eating fish, they were either, uh, they were either working to, to, to sell fish, I mean, one of the, or both. And, uh, and so they end up, uh, he ends up talking, and he's walking around, and there's obviously a lot of professional fishermen that he's talking to. And so he's like, how can I, you know, he's, he's thinking, he's like, how can I better illustrate uh, the kingdom of heaven. Okay, take this net, for example. And so Jesus picks up this fishing net. And everyone there and all the professional fishermen are like, yeah, we get that. We know what a fishing, fishing net is. And, and Jesus goes, so the kingdom of heaven, it's like this net. And, and this net, you know, obviously, if you know anything about fishing without a rod and you used a net at all, um, what you do is, is you would either take a boat or boats and you'd go out or you could do it from the shoreline either way and you'd go out and you'd take this net and there's weights on the end of, 
of the rim of this net and, and you would cast it out and it would get super wide and super big and then, then it would drop down and it would, it would gather, it would collect everything as it sort of dropped down. And then what, what the fishermen would do is, is either from the boat or from the shoreline, they would begin to pull this net and it would all of a sudden it would begin to gather all kinds of stuff. And like I said, there, there's things that were probably in that net that the fishermen really wanted, and there's probably things in that net that the fishermen really didn't want. And so when they would pull it on shore, they would come out and they would drop their catch on the shoreline, and then they would begin to sort. And they would take, they would take all the good fish, and they'd put it over here, and they'd take the bad fish, and they'd literally throw it out. And that's, that's just what fishermen, and so the fishermen are going, yeah, yeah, that, I get that. But here's the question that I think, the very first question that comes from this parable. Many times, churches and people they use churchy words. And so you hear like a term like kingdom of heaven, and you hear this term kind of tossed around. Uh, the first question that I would say is, is, well, what's the kingdom of heaven, and I think God's word kind of gives us some insight. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing, fishing net. So, so let me describe the kingdom of heaven like this. Think, don't think necessarily medieval, but even though, you know, like medieval times or something like that. But, but think of the kingdom of heaven as this. The kingdom, not as a physical structure, but as a rule and reign. See, God has a kingdom. There is a kingdom. He rules and reigns over a kingdom. And that's all inclusive. That's all creation. That's all, that's everything in existence. God has a rule and reign over all existence. And so, so Jesus is giving this illustration of where he is cast. He says, the kingdom of God is like this net. So this net, this fishing net casts over all things in existence and it falls all over it. But the kingdom, he says, and if I can describe it a little bit more, a kingdom constitutes three things. Three things. And these are, what the, these are what these three things. A kingdom constitutes a ruler. A kingdom constitutes a people who are ruled. And a kingdom constitutes a territory over which they are ruled. So if we take this definition of kingdom, you would begin to understand that the kingdom of heaven existed before man did right? See, God ruled in where? A place, a he heaven. God, being the ruler over all, ruled over angels and angelic beings, supernatural beings. So the kingdom of heaven existed long before you and I were, were ever even around. And the kingdom of heaven, God says that there's this now, the, we live in a time where God goes, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net, and it encompasses all that God rules and reigns. But then he goes on to talk about this net, this fishing net. And I was like, okay, God, you use this fishing net. Look at Matthew 13, verses 48 through 49. Um, it says this, it says, when the net was full, they dragged it up on the shore, sat down, and sorted the good fish into crates, but they threw the bad ones away. That is the way it will be at the end of the world. So, God, so Jesus is trying to make this connection. He's saying there's a season 
there is a window of time that this net is cast out. And within that net, um, there is a season of time in which um, there will be a gathering of all people, of all races, of all ethnicities, all languages, young, old, rich, poor, everyone will get caught, of all different backgrounds, will get caught in this net. Now, like in any kingdom, there are men and women who willingly submit to the ruler of that kingdom. But then, like in kingdoms, there are men and women and subjects who are unwilling to submit and be ruled by the ruler. So, so as they are coming to the shoreline, this dragnet, it's not a TV show, show about cops or anything like that, it's, it's a net, it's a fishing net, gets pulled to the shore, and so God is pulling all of mankind, gathering us together in order for this moment in time when he begins to soar. But, but let me say this, the net catches everything. Now, I don't want to breeze over top this because I think sometimes we have in our mind that God is some sort of elitist, some sort of, um, some sort of you know, he just, he is super, I want you to understand that our God loves all and it is his heartbeat that not any should perish. This is what it says here in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9. It says this. It says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. Now, sometimes we get impatient. Really? Yeah, yeah, we do, okay? Uh, sometimes we get impatient. The Lord isn't being so. Now, does God work in conjunction to us? No. He doesn't work in conjunction to us. He's not on our timetable. As a matter of fact, if you go a couple verses before verse 9, it gives this illustration that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord. A thousand years is like a day to the Lord. It's, it's like. It's not equal to. And so, so time passes different in the mind and because and God is looking at all of time. He's looking at the entire duration of time. He's looking from beginning to end. He sees, he sees when the first man was made. He, ser- he sees when the last bit of creation exists and no longer exists. Like he sees the bookends all at one time at the same time, and he interjects at any point in that time because he's God. Time is a creation of God. We think linearly this is how we were wired, and God sees it all. And so sometimes God doesn't, actually a lot of time, God doesn't work according to the way we want him to. And so it seems like he's being slow. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. See, see God cast out this huge net, and he's given us a window of time a window of time where, where you and I can begin to understand why we were made, who made us, and how we can be in relationship with this creator. Now, make no mistake, it is a designated amount of time. There is a certain amount of time that exists while this net, this huge net is cast over all of mankind, over everything, God says, 
The reason why I don't just end all things right now is because I'm a patient God. And if you know anything about fishing, it takes a lot of patience, which is why I don't fish all the time, right? I mean, like, it takes a lot of patience. And, and, and make no mistake, the father, the, the fisherman, let's call him the fisherman, he knows what he's trying to catch. He knows what he's after. And he casts it out. And you know what he does? He waits. He waits. Because he wants to catch absolutely every single one of you and me. Because he goes on to say, he, he is being patient for your sake. It says, he does not want anyone. Anyone. Greek word for anyone is anyone to be destroyed or perish. And what that means is, is he doesn't want any one of us to be, to go from this time, from this side of the grave into the next without knowing the way, the truth, and the life. And it all centers around one person being Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is that way. It is God's heartbeat. It is his desire. If anyone tells you anyone different, they haven't read the Bible, they don't know the Bible, and they don't understand the truth. Our God loves ferociously. He desires and longs for every single person to know him, to understand the way, the truth, and the life, to have a relationship with Jesus and believe in him as Lord and Savior so that they too can have a relationship with the God of the universe and be ushered in to heaven and eternity with him. It is, he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. This is, this is the heartbeat of our God. But like, you know, look, I, I, there's people that come to church and churches, you know what? The, the gospel and the church, they can gather crowds. And some of you this morning are here because the crowd's here. And you're part of the crowd. But make no mistake, just because you're part of the crowd doesn't mean you're a convert. Doesn't mean you know the truth. Doesn't mean you know the way. So there's this moment that we have in time. And in Mark 16, 15, it says, uh, it says this in Mark 16, 15. It says, and then he told them, go into all the world, preach the good news to everyone. It says, so the fishing net that was thrown into the waters caught fish of every kind. So there's, like I said, there's this season of gathering. It collects, it gathers. The gospel, uh, make no mistake, the gospel will pull a crowd together. And he's pulling all people of all kinds all into this place. So here's the next question that comes from that. What, what part does the church play in this? So if there's this season of gathering, if there's this season of gathering, what, what, what's your part? What's my part? See, the church is not an organization. It's a people. And the people are the ones that have come to discover that their eyes have been opened by the Holy Spirit alone and has brought us into the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. We've surrendered our hearts, surrendered our life. We've given our lives over. The old is dead. The new has come. We are now followers of Christ. What is now us, the church, our responsibility as this huge net has been cast over all existence? 
Well, I think there's some things you need to understand about the church. First and foremost, the church, according to George Ladd, who's an author, incredible guy, an incredible theologian, this is what he said. He said, the church is not the kingdom. So for those that think, hey, we've got this elitist group, and, and the, the church is not the kingdom, but, the man, but a manifestation of the kingdom here on earth. See, the church is an example of what our eternity will look like. It just hasn't been fully realized in the church. However, one day at the end of age, when we see our, face to, our Savior face to face, it will be. Okay, so, so now imagine with me here for a moment. The net is cast out. We are not the, the whole kingdom. We are a manifestation of men and women ruled by the ruler. Our hearts are ruled by the, the church is the concrete manifestation of God's sovereign rule in our hearts. This is us. This is, this is, this is who we are. And, and so we are amidst this huge net. There's other fish swimming around us. We become a picture of what it means to be led by the most high God. We become this picture this group of people to show the world a different way to demonstrate to the world a hope that lies beyond this even this net there's there's a picture and 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 guess what this net again is here for a short time and so not only is it a manifestation of God's sovereign rule in our hearts it's also an instrument of God's kingdom see God has called the church, you and me, to go and share the same hope that you've been given with all those other fish in the net that have never heard that hope. We're there for a reason. Your life has purpose. The moment that you said yes to Jesus was the moment you said no to your old life, no to everything else, which is why for all of you men and women that work in this world, sometimes you're like, I, I'm in the military, and oh, by the way, I know and love Jesus. No, when you really understand your relationship with God, no, it's I know and love Jesus, and oh, by the way, I get to be in the military to show it. Do you see the difference? Like your life no longer revolves around you. It revolves around a bigger purpose, a bigger calling, because there's people all around that are in this God, this huge net over all existence that are in a window of time that need to hear the truth that you and I have been ushered into, that we've been given. So the church is an instrument. It's also a witness. We're a model. We become an example. And sometimes we're not a good model. Sometimes we're a bunch of hypocrites. I'm first to raise my hand. Don't always give a very good picture of what it means to live under Jesus' authority. Sometimes I, uh, it's, it's awful. I, I spend a whole lot of time confessing and repenting, but you know what? That's called spiritual breathing, just part of it. And you know what? God is not interested in perfection. That's his job. He's in, interested in the direction of your heart. And I've said it before. We constantly, it's not about perfection. It's about direction. We're just heading this way. We're heading towards Jesus and let Jesus work it out. And he does. That's what's crazy. Every step towards Jesus is one less step to be like yourself and more like him. Guess what? That's the W. And we have this hope that needs to bleed out of us as his people. And so the church is not only a witness, it's also a custodian. 
The church is a custodian. And now the reason why I think you and I need to understand this is, is because it's not like I've got hope and now I've just got this mission to, to just drive and stand at a street corner and shove Jesus down. No, no, no. We're also caretakers of this world. You know why? God wants you to flourish in this world. He wants you to be successful businessmen and women. I want, I want your businesses to grow. I, if you're a lawyer, I want you to be a great lawyer. If you're a doctor, be a great doctor. If you're, if you're a Walmart agent or worker, I don't know, whatever you call them, then I want you to be a great Walmart worker. Like, be whatever God has called you to be and be the best that you can be so that life around you begins to flourish. We need to care for orphans and widows. We need to care for the lost. We need to care and we need to extend ourselves to a degree of love that goes beyond our own convenience. See, I, I had a conversation with another brother earlier on um, uh, in the first service, and he was sharing with me an experience that, that went really bad. He decided to kind of push back, and, and it just became into this huge physical altercation and, and so on and so forth, and, and there were some really major injuries involved. And, and he goes, you know what I learned? And, he, and I said, what? What did you learn? He goes, there's a different way of loving people without getting them back. That's what he told me. And I said, that's a great lesson. I think it's a lesson for all of us. See, when we, uh, like, how many of you have actually come to Christ because someone was coming, coming on you, man, you're a sinner, you stink, I can't believe, has anyone really come to faith that way? Not really. Now, you know, you know when people really see Jesus in a real way the first time? Man, you're going through a hard time. Can I, just, can I just walk with you? And I just love you. I don't, I don't know what you're walking through, but can I, can I just pray for you? I just want to care for you. I what, how's your family? How's your son? How's your daughter? How's whatever's going on? I just, I just want to step in and, and be involved. And I just want to love you. Even if we don't see eye to eye, that's, you know what? That's, that's a journey between you and God. I'm called to, to love you and care for you. And not the kind of love that the world talks about. I'm talking about the ahava love. I'm talking about the agape love, the unconditional love, where you go beyond where it's not just words, it's action. Where I'm going to get into, I'm going to be personally inconvenienced so that I can love people ferociously. This is the kind of love. And, and it was this kindness. The scripture tells us it's this kindness that leads to repentance. You see, as the church the body of Christ, as we are this concrete manifestation swimming around in, the, in this season of gathering, we live differently. We paint a different picture. We become a microcosm of what the full kingdom of God will be and look like. See, during this age, and many call this age that we're in, this time frame from when Jesus came, the age that we're in is called the age of grace the age of the church, were to be an example to the world and tell the world of the king who rules and reigns in this world. Now, I, I, instead of talking about it, let me, let me give you an illustration. I, I wanna give you, I wanna help you connect to what I'm talking about so that we understand. There's this timeline that I put up here and I want you to just follow along with me. There's this timeline. Imagine with me that this first dotted line right here is the beginning of time. Okay, this is the beginning of time when everything, when existence happened. So before this is nothing but God. 
And then God decides to create. And we know how that happened in the garden. Things went bad. There's a separation. There was a fracture of relationship. And then what we could call is, is we entered into what we'd call the age of Israel. Okay? There was this season where the Messiah hasn't yet come. And they're given the Ten Commandments, and they're trying to figure out what their relationship with God is all about. And, and so that's this age of Israel, and, and God's giving this promise of saying, hey, I'm sending someone, I'm sending someone, I'm going to send you away. And all of a sudden, we see, following a 400 years of silence, God intersects with mankind unlike ever before. And we see Jesus come to earth. And he's born. And in doing so, all of a sudden, we end this age, and we enter into another age, and that's the age that we're in now. See, Jesus has come. He lived a perfect life. He died a sinner's death for you and for me, and so now we are in this window, and if you could put the net, the net over all of existence, this is that age we're in. So we're in this huge age of grace right here, this huge age of grace. But make no mistake, there's only a certain amount of time that we have. We have a, there's, there's a time. We are in a set amount of time. And just like, just like the, fa- the, the, the father, the, the fisherman who's patient, eventually there's a moment when that gathering ends And all of a sudden, we come to what Scripture calls the end of age. There's a moment when this season ends, the gathering ends. And then he turns to his angels, as we find here in the parable, to kind of come in and and help him sort. See, just like I said before, there's, there's men and women that don't want anything to do with God's kingdom. No matter how many opportunities, no matter how many presentations, no matter how much, how much convincing God has presented through creation and, and, and all these different things and through his word and through his son, it doesn't matter. There's a window. And all of a sudden they go into sifting and sorting. And God uses his supernatural angels to help delineate between the two. And can I just say it's going to be a very sorrow-filled time. It's going to be a painful time. And the reason why I say that is, is, is because Matthew 7 gives us kind of a, a better understanding of what this moment is going to look like. This is what it says in Matthew 7, verse 21. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. See, so some of us, we come because the crowd's here. Some of us know exactly how to say, Lord, hey, uh, yeah, Lord, I can lift my hands at the appropriate time. I put them back down. I do the gold, stand, uh, gold stands, you know, and I put them back down. And, and sometimes I open it up as if I'm receiving something. Like, I can go through all the motions. I can convince you that I'm, I'm in good shape. I, I can convince you. I, I put money in the offering. I've gone on missions trips, and I've even, even begun to, to kind of cultivate and manipulate my language to match everyone else around me. And God says, uh, there's going to be a lot of people that say, Lord, Lord, but not everyone's actually going to know the Lord. And this is going to be a really hard time. 
It's gonna be a time where it says, it says, it says your, um, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? See, I look at all these things I did. Have I not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? See, we're doing it on behalf of Jesus. Problem is, is you're doing things for Jesus, but you don't know Jesus. And make no mistake, there's a difference. There's a difference. And then he says in verse 23, and then I will declare to them, man, I never knew you. I never knew you. It's apart from me. See, because remember how only people, only righteousness and holiness can come before God the Father? And do you remember what Jesus does on our behalf? He gives us his righteousness and he gives us his holiness so that when we stand, even though we're broken and we're messes and we still sin and we make mistakes, even though that's true, when we stand before the heavenly father, guess what he sees in us? He doesn't see us. He sees his son who's perfect and righteous and that is salvation. Jesus does for you what you could never do for yourself. Your works don't get you there. Your attendance doesn't get you there. His son, Jesus Christ, is the only one that gets you there. That's it. It's not about a religion. It is about a relationship. And I know that's cliche, but I'm just telling you, you have to have a relationship with Jesus in order for when the Father looks at you during this sorting time, he doesn't look at you with these sorrowful words of saying, man, I, I never knew you. You did great things, but I never knew you. And the truth is, is you never knew me. You just got good at managing sin, playing the part. And, and can I just say this? I know there's a lot of religions and there's a lot of faiths out there that, that go, well, God's so loving and God's so loving, and, and how can he be so callous and so heartless to punish someone for eternity? Can I just tell you, the only thing, the only reference I can have to speak to something like that is the Bible. It's all we got. And there is nothing in the Bible that says anything about purgatory. Nothing. So I'm sorry that's disappointing. There's no, there's no hey, I'm gonna go and pay for my sin for, for a short amount of time and then I get to join everyone else. I'm sorry, that is not true. And if you bought into it, you've bought into a lie. There is one way, there is one truth, there is one life. We are in a window of time called the age of grace, the age of the church. God is graciously giving you this opportunity. And if you're here this morning and you're online, I'm telling you right now, Jesus is extending himself saying, please don't wait. You have a window, and it's, it's all the window that God's going to give to you. And if you haven't watched the news for very long, I'm telling you, that window is beginning to collapse, and it's getting shorter and shorter. And so for us, God's patience should demand our urgency. We better start living urgent lives. We better start realizing that we are called to something bigger than ourselves. We've got to come out of our comfort zone and we gotta start stepping in to all that Jesus has made us to be, which is his followers, Christ-honoring followers, which leads me into the last part, and I'm done. The last part is this, not only is there a gathering and a sifting and a sorting season, 
But there's also Matthew 13, verses 52 through 53 that says this. Jesus turns to the people and he says, do you get what I'm talking about? And the people are like, yeah, 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 we, 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 we understand, we do. Then he goes, okay. Every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple. So let's just say this. Everyone that comes to faith in Jesus Christ, whether it be this morning or years ago, those that have come to faith in Jesus Christ, my disciple, you're following me in the kingdom of heaven is like this. He gives another example. You're like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. Now, here's what I love. Do you realize that there's nothing lost when it comes to Jesus? You're like, Joel, you don't know what I've done. And I said, I don't need to. Jesus knows exactly what you've done, exactly the things that you've said, how you've said them, exactly the the things that you've done in public or the things that you're currently doing in private. He knows it all. He knows everything about you. But here's how good our gracious God during this window of time, he goes, I'm going to take all of that brokenness and all of that sin and I'm going to use it for my glory. Because when you, uh, your eyes are open because of my Holy Spirit and you see Jesus for the first time and you realize that he's the only thing that can save your soul and save your life, he takes all of that brokenness and he says, now I want to illuminate that old junk in your life so that you can tell others how to avoid that. And oh, by the way, the new truth that I poured in your life, that I'm the way, the truth in your life, oh, share that as well. You're gonna share old gems. You're gonna share new gems. I'm gonna take your life, transform, transform those lives. You've got a window, make your life count. Seize the day. This, this is what we, this is this time moment where we're in. And listen, this pastor is so urgent and passionate about this season of life, and I want the church, the body of Christ, to not get sidelined, not get distracted. Our time is narrowing. Our window is narrowing. Stop putting off tomorrow what was meant for today. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 6.2, this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.2. He says, for God says at just the right time, I heard you. I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. It's now. Today is the day of salvation. And the reason why Paul is saying that is because he knows we're in this window of time. We have an opportunity while we're on this side of the grave because if we, put the, if we put the timeline back up, and I'm gonna ask the, if you can put the timeline back up, at the end of time, at the end of age, it's not that God's trying to make us a better version of us or God's trying to make our world a better version of this world. No, at the end of age, guess what? Everything is done. It's finished. And then you know how great our God is? He goes, I'm gonna make something completely new something brand new. In fact, I'm going to give you a new body and I'm going to create a new heaven and I'm going to create a new earth and we're going to enter into this, to this new season. I'm going to usher you into this new season of eternity where you spend eternity with me. 
You spend community, I mean, we spend absolute day in and day out. I'm, I can't imagine like there being anything more glorious, more wonderful than being able to be with my creator where I don't have to sleep anymore. I don't have to eat anymore. I nourish from literally the robes of the glorious God that stands before me. And I get that every day for all eternity. That, that is glory. That's the promise that you and I have been given. And that's what's being offered to all of us this morning. Listen, God wants to make you new. We've got a time. We, we got to get out of this manana mentality and say, I'll just push off tomorrow. Stop pushing off tomorrow. What you need to do today. Look, God has every one of us on a journey. And he's using these parables and he's using these stories to help us understand what he and he alone has done and wants to do in your life. Jesus loves you. John 3.16 tells us that. For God so loved the world that he gave his way, his only son, that whoever, not just goes through the motions, knows his name, but whoever believes, believes in him, won't perish, won't be cast into to the pit of hell. Because I'll just be honest with you, church family, no one likes to talk about hell because it's icky and it sounds, it's a real place. It's a real place. And, and if, I can, if you can define it as this, just imagine that it is the worst possible place you could ever go in existence. And you know what the worst part I think about hell will be, aside from what you may experience there, the worst possible part about hell is the fact that you are eternally separated from the one who made you. You're etern eternally separated, not only from the one who made you, but you're eternally separated from the purpose of why you exist. And Jesus is going, hey, let today be the day of salvation. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. I don't care what you've done. I can take all that. I can use it for my glory. I can take your old life, turn it into gems to share with other people. And then I can take all the new things that I'm pouring into you and use that as well so that this season that we're in, this age of grace, we can see one or two come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And join us when that sorting happens, we get to hear a different set of words of saying, well done, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into my kingdom, into my courts with praise.